Uh, so, yeah, so a little bit about Envision. If you don't know what Envision is, uh, Envision is an initiative of the Christian Missionary Alliance, a ministry of the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, that is about identifying and raising up the next missional leaders, whether they are young or old. And so we have 21 sites all over the world. Um, and here locally or on the U.S. soil, we have seven sites, which um, I lead the one in Cleveland, and I also oversee uh, from a coaching standpoint and where we're going next in the U.S. from the national level. I serve the national office that way as well. So places like Watts, California, like in L.A., New York, uh, Chicago, places like that. But we have places like Burkina. You saw Taiwan is one of our, our sites. Um, you can go to places like Russia and places like that. But our idea for Envision is to raise up uh, the next generation or the next missional leaders. Some people say, is it just for millennials? Is it just for young people? No. Uh, we've had people at our sites in Cleveland as young as six years old, uh, as old as uh, we sent out our last intern that we sent out from the national level was 86, and uh, he served in Jordan. Uh, and so uh, we're saying, hey, if you have a heartbeat and want to follow Christ in a missional way, uh, we want to be available to provide experiences for you, uh, things like internships or trips. Uh, Cleveland in particularly, uh, we started the site about three and a half, four years ago, um, and we uh, seek to collaborate with individuals, communities, uh, ministries, and government uh, for the sake of transforming neighborhoods across Cleveland. And so we focus on three things. Uh, our first one is restoration, realizing that Cleveland is one of those down and out kind of cities. Uh, and what we found is that a lot of surface issues that you guys all may recognize of poverty and drugs and all those kinds of things, we believe are because of this idea that there's a lack of hope and there's a lack of identity in our city. A city that has been really identified by all the great sports that we have, right? No, by all the sports teams that have failed. Uh, and it's crazy, you think that's not that big of a deal, but in our city, I know guys that wake up and they're like, at least we have the calves. And I'm like, really, that's all that you wake up for? Or the Browns fans that are like, oh, they're like, oh, we're going to be best, we're going to the Super Bowl next year, and then they lose the first game, like, oh, it's all over. I guess there's always again next year. And so they live and die on their sports. And so they've identified, I'm a Clevelander, and everything, nothing ever works out well. And so we are, our hope is to restore some hope that we know finds in Christ and identity also. We have people that are coming from all over the world uh, as refugees, and they're landing in Cleveland, Ohio. And so you can imagine a Congolese person uh, that uh, was uh, forced out of their country because of war. They spent the last 10 years in Rwanda at a refugee camp, not able to get a job because they won't let you work at a refugee camp. They won't let you um, have things. You just have your tent and your space, and you're expected just to live there. And then they're like, okay, your chance. You get to come to America. And then you come to America, they don't know how to speak the language, they don't know how to get on a bus, they don't know how to do these different things. And so when you say, who are you? They say, I don't know who I am. And so their identity is, I think I'm Congolese, but I never really lived in Congo because my parents had me in the refugee camp, so maybe I'm from Rwanda. Wait, I can't go back there. I'm in America now, so am I an American or am I Congolese? And so we're saying, you know what? You're a child of the king. And he can identify you. And he can. So that's one of our things. We want to restore hope and identity. Uh, we also restore properties. If you go through our neighborhoods, if you've served in one of our Renew the Cities, you recognize there's a lot of need in our city. A lot of dilapidated homes, 
uh, a lot of slumlords that uh, have plagued our city and just provide homes for two and three hundred dollars a month that some of them don't even have running heat uh, some of them don't have running water and so we say hey can we help restore some uh, properties uh, and park areas so it can help the neighborhood so it can be a benefit to the neighborhood not a sore eye and so the second thing that we focus on in Cleveland is reconciliation uh, that we get this idea from Romans if you read Romans 5 this idea that Jesus has sent us as ambassadors I think I preached on it last time I was here this idea of us being ambassadors to bring reconciliation between people and God that to bring them back in relationship with God but then also on the same line is that we want people to be reconciled people to people Realizing that our city, even in Cleveland, has been marked as one of those places over the history of the U.S. as being one of the most diverse, segregated cities in America. Uh, some of the worst riots that happened in the 60s and 70s were in Cleveland in the Huff neighborhood. And so we have this black and white issue that we continue to wrestle with. And I can go, people that are coming, that have migrated from Kentucky to West Virginia, that are now uh, living close to people of a different skin color, and they don't get along. But then you take another level, then you have people coming from other countries, even from the same country. Like if we go as Americans, if I saw Scott and he's from Texas, and we find ourselves in Africa one day, I'm like, hey, Scott, you're from America. And we're excited to see each other, right? Because he's an American, and we're the only two white guys standing out in the middle of a sea of black African people. But among Congolese, because there's been so much war, the first question they ask you as a Congolese, if you're a Congolese, they would say, hey, my name is and I am from this part of Congo. And if you don't tell them where you're from, they're going to ask you, where are you from? Because they don't trust you if you're from a certain part of the, uh, of, of, of part of the nation. Because the Western people, they were responsible for opening the borders to allow all the rebels to come in. And so all the Eastern Congolese, even though they are from, cut from maybe the same cloth, you let the bad guys in to kill all of our villages. So now we don't trust you. So even one of our alliance pastors is from the West. Majority of Congolese that live in Cleveland are all from the East. So you can imagine the reconciliation that needs to happen between even a people group. So we're passionate about that, trying to change the mindsets of people, realizing that God is the only one that can really do that. And the third thing is resourcing, uh, is that we are committed to resource or redistribute resources in the Cleveland area. That means taking resources from the suburbs, taking from the rural areas, but also right in the neighborhood, and how to re redistribute them so everybody has benefit. So if somebody has something that can be used by other people, how do we get that into their hands? Our greatest resource that Envision can bring is people like yourselves. Many of you guys are going to help us on uh, April 7th with Renew the City. That, you don't understand how big of an impact that is. When three to 400 people show up in a neighborhood just to get their hands dirty to serve. That does something for a community. They feel like that they're, they're wanted, they're cared for. And the reality is, is I could not do a Renew the City without you. I could show up in myself and my staff, but it's only going to be about six people. And maybe a handful of people from the church is there. But you can imagine what we did last year at Renew the City. We cleaned and we did all these things and people were going, why are you here? I'm like, well, you need help picking up your neighborhood and we're here to help you do that. Like, you just came here? I'm like, yeah, you even paid to be here. They're like, you paid to come to my neighborhood to pick up my trash? Are you nuts? So we're, we're hoping to resource people. 
One of our greatest partners that you guys have gotten, are getting to know is uh, Faith Alliance Bible Church, a uh, church that's in the, one of the tougher parts of Cleveland. And we said, hey, how can we work together to help you be successful in your neighborhood? And John Malone will share with you, and you probably heard him share it before, is that I don't come in thinking that I know everything. I'm just saying, how can I learn what you need and how can we provide so we've been able to do fun stuff in his neighborhood, in his church, uh, because we said, you know what, we want to resource you to do things that you dream of that you could never do by yourself, and we want to do that. So those are kind of three areas of Cleveland. That was a long explanation about Envision. Scott, thanks for asking that question, because I get passionate about it a little bit. Uh, but uh, um, just a little bit of update on what's going on with Envision Cleveland. Last time I was here, I shared uh, that we were introducing some new staff uh, to our team. And it's proved to be a really great uh, thing to add staff, but it's also proved to be uh, this idea of transition is not always easy. So we're still kind of figuring some of those details out, but uh, the Lord has continued to bless and given my team a heart for the city and is, uh, is becoming uh, impactful. Also, um, about a year and a half ago, we were gifted um, a church building, an old Methodist church that closed down. They said, hey, we want our building to be used for something for the neighborhood. Do you have somebody that would be interested? And the land bank said, we have the people. We're going to give them the church building. And so we were given a church building, and it's now become the International Community Center in the Clark Fulton neighborhood. And so we do ESL classes. We do assimilation classes for people that anybody wants to show up, whether they're refugee, American, it doesn't matter. Um, but we've found that uh, we are one of the few organizations that really are located strategically among Congolese people. And Congolese tend to be a little more difficult in the education department because they've lacked education for so long. A lot of our refugees have come from countries that have had access to some type of education, but majority of Congolese don't have access to education. And so we're helping with ESL and things like that. We started an entrepreneurial class for women. Uh, because a lot of times women are usually the ones left at home. They can't go out and do so because they got to take care of the kids, but there's programs that are helping them to start businesses and things like that. Um, and then we opened up an ESL class just for women, just moms. But what was happening is that men would always show up, but the moms would never be able to come. And so we said, hey, let's see if we can get an all-women's class. And so right now we serve about 10 ladies from Congo, and they bring about 16 or 17 kids. Uh, so it's an excitement thing on Wednesday morning. So if you have a passion for kids, uh, especially international kids, we would love for you to join us on Wednesday mornings uh, to help out with some of that stuff. Um, but it's been really cool to see how God has used this. And a picture that comes to mind, we did a Thanksgiving dinner uh, this past Thanksgiving. And we invite all the English students. And we show up to this one lady's house. Uh, and our driver that was doing it uh, showed up and said they came out of the door chanting, English, English, English. Because that's the only word she's learned that uh, past couple weeks. And we said, man, she was so excited. And we had about 30 people show up for Thanksgiving dinner that had never really experienced Thanksgiving in a community like that. And so we were excited to see that. But then we started to dream, like, what if she came out of the house going, Jesus, Jesus. Because one day we're hoping that these things that we're giving and providing for felt needs right now, they're going to lead to uh, conversations about who Christ is. And so that's one thing that's been going on. Also, if you were at Renew the City last year, you may have uh, rode down a road or you walked down a road called Elton Avenue. It's one of our kind of our, one of the harder streets uh, in the Detroit Shoreway area. And this past summer, it, it tended to got, it got a lot worse. We have a garden there that we've been doing community gardening with, uh, but there's a house we call it the greenhouse, uh, also known as the drug house. 
And so we have seen that house. We've seen people go in and out. Uh, this past summer, there was one day that I was sitting there. I watched at least 20 women go in and out of that place selling their bodies for sex. In one afternoon. And then the drugs that are being dealt. And so we said, you know, one of my partners, our partner organizations that we work with, we were sitting there one day in the garden saying, how do we combat this? How do we go against what's going on here? Because un unfortunately, a, t a lot of times, cops don't show up unless somebody is shooting a gun or somebody is dead. And it's easy to turn an eye of this kind of stuff. But we're going, we have all these new refugee friends that have come in. We have neighbors that have been living here for 30 years, and they're all afraid. And they're seeing this traffic go in and out. And so we said, you know, what are we going to do about this? And so about three years ago, we started praying, but this past summer has gotten really bad. And we says, God, you got to do something. And so eventually, towards the end of, probably around the July, August area, I was meeting with the task force of the Cleveland Police Department, Homeland Security, about such things on the east side, about prostitution. And they said, and I said, hey, what are you going to do about Elton? And they're all eyes lit up like, how do you know about Elton? I'm like, I don't go there for pleasure. I just know that I work there and I know what's going on. And they said, hey, we just did a sting there two weeks ago and we, had, we caught 20 males there, all from outside the city. And so they find, finally found a way. The DEA came in, shut the house down, and they put boards up all around it. And we're like, okay, finally, it's been taken care of. Well, what happened is that it's, they're part of a drug ring, and so those guys said, you know what, forget it, we'll go to the house right beside it. And so they've got an elderly guy that lives there that doesn't have a whole lot of money, and he said, we're going to take over your house. And so they started running everything out of that house. And we're saying, God, what are you going to do? Because a part of you, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie called Machine Gun Preacher. Uh, it's a great movie if you really want to learn about uh, things that happened in Sudan. Uh, but his, but his, his tactic about taking care of kids was not always great. He just, he just shot people uh, when they messed up and they tried to kill kids. He would just take care of it. But you kind of go to that place in your mind of like, God, you got to do something or I'm going to take, take care of business. And so we felt that way of like we kept seeing women go in and out in drugs. And so we, we continued to pray, God, you've got to do something about this. And so eventually the DEA came and shut this guy's house down, boarded it up. He still lives there. He crawls in and out of a window out of the back. But there's no more drugs and prostitution going on. And so you're like, oh, this is great. We're not going to see any more of this. And so we still began to pray, God, what, do you, what would happen with this house, this green house, the drug house? And so this past December, uh, the Detroit Shoreway, one of my partner organizations came to me and said, Paul, do you want the green house? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, if you want it, you can uh, renovate it and you can use it for rental property or whatever, but it's yours if you want it. And of course, my answer is like, yes, I want this house. And it's a pretty tough house, it's, but the bones are good. There's things that are in there that are good. But we said, you know, what? If, now God's answering our prayer, like, what if we redeem this house for something for good? Like I shared with you, we have a lot of Congolese in this neighborhood, and we've been talking with the, the local Congolese pastor, one of our CMA church planters, and said, Pastor Paul, would you be willing to move into this house if we fix it up for you so you begin to minister in this neighborhood? And he goes, I will definitely think about it. And so we have the green house now. God has the green house. And so uh, those are some exciting things. We continue to pray for us about that. I was telling the first service, if you have a passion or if you have like a gifting of wanting to help out with construction or even cleaning out stuff or painting, you know, those kind of things, say, you know what, I really want to be a part of that. 
please grab my card. Uh, please understand that we're going to do this together as a team. Whoever is willing, I had a couple guys from the first service said, hey, I can give you a couple Saturdays in the next few weeks. Uh, if you're interested in helping out with that, we'd love for you to help out with that. We still are trying to raise about 36000 to do this house. Um, so Renew the City, we're not charging this year for Renew the City, but we are asking people to donate to the garden project and this house uh, because we believe it's going to be a, a pretty cool place in this neighborhood to say, hey, we're here to stay. We want to bring Jesus back to this neighborhood, and we want to be able to serve this neighborhood in the best way for it. So those are some updates for Envision, and then a couple updates for us. Um, my wife, Lori, you had to stand up, and my son, she has to stand up. She's really embarrassed right now. So my wife, my son Hudson, and my daughter Riley. This is rare that they get to come with me to a lot of these things that I do because I speak at different places. Uh, so if you don't know my wife, I am married. Uh, I go to some conferences and like, are you really married? I'm like, yeah, I have a wife and two kids. Like, we never met her before. So please introduce yourself. She's actually a lot better than who I am. So, um, and my kids are even better than both of us. So she, my wife, she, she knows I'm talking about her because she's smiling right now. Uh, so please introduce yourself. Um, for us as a family, uh, we've been going through a number of transition things, but I was sharing with the first service. We are in a kind of a place of wrestling, trying to find rhythms of life, finding balance, uh, finding friends to be able to share burdens with, uh, whether it's with our special needs daughter, whether it's just the weight of urban ministry sometimes can be tough. Um, so I would just encourage you guys, if you would like to pray for us, to pray for that. Pray for balance, um, that I not only am a good at my position is my job of being a good dad and being a good husband. Uh, and pray for our family that we would really continue to find more time to spend as a family. We've been wrestling with really hard this past week. Um, and so we're just asking for those that would like to pray for us to pray for that. But uh, God has continued to use us, continued to give us um, breath and air in our cells. Uh, and I just want to say thanks, Scott, for playing that last song. Um, that really ministered to my heart this morning of this idea that we really need God and we can't do anything without him. Um, and uh, so thank you for that. You've ministered to us already uh, this morning. Uh, this morning, as I uh, take some time to share a, little thing, a couple of things that God's been putting on my heart, when I come to places and I share, I'm always looking for this, like, what's going to really get their attention? Uh, what's something I can really share with them that I'm already really doing good at? But I'll be honest with you this morning that I'm wrestling with this this morning. Um, this idea that um, what does it mean to care for those that know Christ and what does it mean to care for those that don't know Christ? One of the things that I've found in Cleveland is that people tend, tend to walk around with this very worn face. Like It looks like the world has just beat them up and chewed them up and spit them out. And they walk around like they're just defeated all the time. And just recently, uh, I was talking with one of the guys that I have a chance to mentor, part of a Refugee Impact Collaborative uh, uh, group, and uh, he says, hey, you know my neighbor? And I'm like, yeah, I know the neighbor. She was the lady that <clears throat> I showed up to visit one day, and she's twerking on the front porch. If you don't know what twerking is, just ask some, a young person. They can tell you it's not a great thing, especially when the lady's like 65 years old. It's just weird, okay? Uh, but, yeah, I'm like, I know her. Yeah, well, I've talked to her before. Well, she goes, well, she asked me for a ride the other night to the grocery store. And I said, oh, I said, he goes, I couldn't say no, so I, I felt like I needed to help her. Um, she uh, obviously was probably drinking or something like that. And she said, hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? He's like, yeah, I can give you 10 bucks. And he didn't ask any questions. He just felt like God said, don't ask any questions, just help her out right now. And as they were driving to the Giant Eagle, um, she goes, why are you so nice? 
And she and Josh is like, I don't know. And she's like, you know, I know you're not from Cleveland because everybody in Cleveland is mean. And everybody in Cleveland is evil. And she's from there. She grew up there. And Josh, and as we were talking about this, I began to realize, and I see this as I see people that are worn out walking down the road, that people in Cleveland a lot of times don't ever feel cared for. And what she said to Josh was like, why did you care and give me a ride to the store? And he was able to share, because Christ loves me and I want to make sure that you know that Christ loves you. Josh took it upon himself to care for someone. In the passage that we're going to read this morning, we're going to talk about, you know, my title of the sermon is, Who Cares? And I've realized, as I've looked at Cleveland, as I continue to look at the church, sometimes it's hard to even see people that even really care about those that are within the doors of the church, much less the people that live outside the doors. I don't know if you guys uh, watch NCAA tournament uh, or maybe you like to watch soccer, but you always watch the teams that really do it well. Um, there seems to be this idea that the whole team gets their role. They know what they're supposed to do. They have an uh, objective to put the ball in the basket or the ball in the back of the net. And when it really clicks, it's really beautiful. And even when somebody messes up a little bit, there's always a teammate that's there to help them to get it back. So last night I was watching one of the games, I think it was the Gonzaga game, and these guys had a run. They were just continuing to shoot, and they were continuing to do these different things, and it just looked really pretty. Like, this, this is easy for these guys. And then one guy came and made a bad shot, but there's a guy under the basket that grabbed it from here and then brought it up and just dunked it. I'm like, that is so sweet. So beautiful, right? If you watch a soccer game, when you, I don't always think Americans play soccer as well as everybody else in the world does, uh, but... When you see really good teams play soccer, it seems like a ballet. The ball moves, the ball goes here, the ball's passed, and they shoot a shot, and it's like, man, that was so beautiful. It was like it was, uh, it was supposed to happen just like that. Or maybe you're one of those that listens to music, and when you can listen to a really good song or a really good band. You know, I, I'll admit I'm an Allman Brothers fan, uh, old school but man, I can remember days when I would drive down the road in the mountains of North Carolina and put on an Almond Brothers song, and it was like it was the best time in the world. They didn't miss a note. Every bun, uh, drum beat was right on target. But then you also quickly go back to those times where you were going to maybe a recital or going to a junior high uh, choir concert, and there's always that one kid that's like, and you're like, why is this kid on stage, Right. And it's not the sense, you don't see the sense of harmony that's going on. You know, or the guy that's, you know, the trumpet's like way too loud. Or the trombone's like just trying to figure out how do I blow this thing. It's like, wah, wah, wah. And so this is, it's all jumbled up. But when you hear a good song, I was watching the team prepare this morning, and uh, Scott would say, hey, stop, stop, stop. We've got to go back to this. Because I don't think that maybe Scott maybe is a perfectionist, but I think he wants to provide a place for people to worship so they're not concentrating on the things that are going wrong, but the things that God is wanting to do in their lives. And so we practice those things. For some of you guys are going like, yeah, they, didn't miss, they missed that one part. We didn't do good today. But the idea is that we want to hear things, and we want to see uh, to be uh, in a sense of harmony, a sense of, sense of things that are going together. And as I share those things, I wonder, do people see that in the way that we care for others? Do you as a church in here, do you find yourselves working together for the benefit of the person beside you? 
Are you thinking about those people beside you more than yourself? Do you see people when you walk outside your door as a way to build them up and help them to know Christ? Are you caring for them well? And I get the sense that we continue after year after year after year that we struggle with this. As individuals, as churches, as followers of Christ, as family people, we struggle with trying to care for people who are doing it well. The Lord's desire is for his followers, the church, uh, to be the church. When we allow the Spirit of the Lord to operate in us, we will love, we will respect, and we will care for one another and produce a symphony of harmony that the world cannot, uh, they can't not see it. They see that, man, God is doing something. And that's my prayer for us, is that we will be a people that are allowing God, as we sung before, I need you, God. I need you. I need you to be able to minister to my friend. I need you to be able to minister and care for the person that's struggling. I need you to be able to care for my neighbor that drives me nuts all the time. But our heartbeat is that we want to care for people because we see Jesus as an example. We look back on his ministry. He was always caring for people all the way to the very end. It says, you know what? I care for you so much, I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to die on the cross for you. That's how much I care. And I wonder, in my own life, in our lives in this room, do we really care for people? Or are we more the people that says, I don't care about anything? I'll tell you, the world is pushing an agenda to care only for yourself. And it's contradictory to what Christ is asking us to be. When I talk to somebody that's been hurt in our neighborhood, why don't you trust that person? I ain't never going to trust that person. Forget it. What happened? Well, he stole my cookie in school. When was that? That's like three years ago. Kidding me? But people just have this idea that, no, it's, it's about me. I'm going to get mine. Instead of saying, how can I give? How can I care? If you've got your Bibles, turn to uh, Romans 15. As Paul is writing, and he's leading up to this uh, passage in 15, uh, he's been writing to the church. He's been giving the church uh, ways to, to live out their life, ways to conduct themselves. And some people, you may have a title in your, in your book, in your Bible, uh, right before verse, uh, in chapter 12, this is a mark of a true Christian. This is how you then should act. And so as we move into chapter 15, uh, Paul's like, you know what? It's not just for the church. I'm going to expand this. I want you to care for those that are in the building. I want you to care for those that I've given to you that are following Christ. Maybe they're new Christians. Maybe they're old Christians. But I want you to care for them. I want you to take care of them. But I want you also to care for your neighbor. I want you to care for those that don't know me, and I want you to do it in this manner. As we look at this, I don't want us to even think maybe just about the people in our church or our neighbor, but this even extends to how do you do this with your family? How do you do this with your coworker? How do you do this with your friend in school? How do you do this with your enemies? Those all could be subcategories of what a neighbor is. How are you caring for these people? Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. 
For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So who cares? Do you find yourself like me sometimes going, you know what, it's about me, I need mine? Or do I find myself or do you find yourself saying, God, use me however you want to use me? Because right here, as Paul writes, we see we who are strong have an obligation. We have a responsibility. We have a duty to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. What does weak mean? Maybe maybe it's somebody that has just come to know Christ. Maybe they're having a struggle. Somebody that has not discovered the full truth and the awesomeness of who Jesus is. It's our responsibility to go and serve them, to go and care for them. It's our obligation. I find ourselves sometimes having this idea that we have to people in our church, they have to be perfect before we really use them, right? We have this idea that, you know, you really can't do this until you clean your act up a little bit. Instead of saying, you know what, I want to help you in your struggle. I want to care for you in this struggle because I really believe that God has a plan for your life and he wants to do something with you. An example of this, there was a guy that I know is a youth pastor. He was telling us, it was kind of a humorous story at first, but then it got kind of pretty serious towards the end. He goes, we had this guy in our youth group, and he was that guy. He was that student that was the rough around the edges guy. He was the guy that you're probably going to count on to do something stupid or say something even stupider. He was the guy that was going to drop not only the S word and the D word, but he's probably going to drop the F word. And he's going to do it in church. And for most of us, we would say, that guy can't come back to youth group, right? We would say, you know what, he's got a potty mouth, he can't come back. We would impose what we think is the best thing for him, that you should stop cussing or don't come back to church. Well, this youth pastor did opposite of that. He said, I'm going to love this kid, I'm going to begin to invest in him. I'm going to care for him. And so as he did that, we began to see, he said, I saw, Paul, I saw things that were happening in this guy's life, and it was good, but he still could not kick the cussing habit. We'd be in the middle of youth group, and he would say, F, yeah. And he's like, oh, all the church kids are like, oh, what is he saying that for? But he's like, you know, we just rolled with it. But I still believe that God was calling me to care for this young man. And so a year goes by, and the young man's still struggling a little bit. He comes to the youth pastor and says, hey, you know those prayer groups that we do? Could I help lead one of those? And the youth pastor's like, uh, you're the cusser. I don't know what's going to happen. He goes, how about we try this? How about you help be a helper of the prayer group? And then we'll see how it goes. And so the guy began to help, and then uh, he didn't stop cussing. He would even, the youth pastor's like, he would even pray, and he would cuss to God. Because in the excitement, though, it's like, hell yeah, this is great. And I'm like, he said that in church? And you just let it happen? I'm like, yeah, he just couldn't help it. And I'm like, so what did you do? He goes, well, he came back the next day. He did a really good job, and he was leading well. And he goes, I think we should make him be a leader in this prayer group. And I'm like, that is so foreign to what's being taught sometimes. 
He says, you know what? That young man is studying at a Christian college wanting to be a youth pastor now because he cared. And he didn't impose. I'm not saying that we should not encourage people not to say things or to change lifestyle, change and things like that. But sometimes we take that upon ourselves to say, you need to do better. I'm going to force you to have better behavior. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm just going to care for you right where you're at. I'm not going to... I'm not going to just let you do whatever you want, but I'm going to continue to give you Jesus and see what happens. As we see that, that's what people are looking for. If I go up to somebody in Cleveland and say, you know what, I'm here to care for you, and here's my list of expectations from you before I start doing that, they're going to look at me and they're going to laugh. Oh, you're just one of those Christian dudes. And I would say, you know, you're probably right. Now, do I, do, I, do I stop speaking up for things that are things that Christ wants me to say? No. But I care for him. It's our obligation. It's our duty of caring. How do we do that? We live a crucified life. Can you imagine Jesus as he was always giving his time? We know that he withdrew to rest. We know that he withdrew to do things, but it was usually at night, and most of the times a lot of us are going, we would be sleeping at that time. We're not going to get up at 5 o'clock, but Jesus did that because he wanted to make the full ability to go out and be with people and to care for people. He came to care. And if you're like me, you're going, oh, there's a guy up on stage telling me that I should be caring for more people more and more. Yeah, because I need to hear it all the time too, because I even have these times who am I caring for? For me, I struggle sometimes because I like to work a lot. And so when I get home from a day of work and, you know, my wife's had a rough day with, with our kids or just some things are going on with different appointments or different phone calls she's had to make, and she wants to say, hey, can we sit down and talk? I don't want to talk. I want to sit down and put my feet up and watch a basketball game. But what does my wife need? And I don't say this because I do this really well. I'm working through this. But how do I care for her? Or when I'm trying to train up my son and teach him the right way to go and he continues to fail, he continues to fail, and continues to fail, what is our first reaction? If you don't do this, and I'm mad, and am I really caring for him? As I was driving over this morning, I realized that how do I care for that is because God's like, do I yell at you, Paul? But yet I continue to ask you to give up this and give up this and give up this. And I remind you, this is what I've asked you to do. I don't get mad. I don't shame you, Paul. I'm inviting you and I'm going to keep inviting you. I will do the work in you. So for my son, should I have the attitude like, what does he need most right now? How do I care for him well? Maybe it's the neighbor that you're like, are you serious? I got to go up and talk to this guy one more time. Maybe that God's calling you to care for him. Living a crucified life. Living a constructive life for their good. I don't, some people think that when you hear this kind of message, it's like you need to be a doormat for the neighbors or you need to be a doormat for the world. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we should go with the expectation of God. How do you want to use me to care for this person? So if there is something in their life that is destroying their life, and God says, Paul, I want you to talk about this, and I want you to bring this conversation up, but I want you to use what I've given you, not what you think is the best, but what do I think is the best? But I walk in that. 
For some people in my context of where we live, I go into a family's home, they don't speak any English, and God's like, I want you to go spend time with them. God, I don't know if I want to go spend time with them. We don't have anything else to say because I don't understand Arabic. I don't understand Congolese. I don't understand any of those languages. Paul, I want you to go sit and be still with them. And it's crazy because when I get up to leave, they're like, Paul, why, why are you leaving? This has been so good. I'm like, are you kidding me? We haven't said more than five words. But to them, they are feeling loved. They are feeling, feeling cared for. The people that come to our English classes, they are being cared for because my teachers love these people. It's crazy how constructive and just being present and being available whenever things are needed. And we have to demonstrate that. The demonstration of caring, what is the example? He says right there in verse 3, Jesus said, or Paul says right here, For Christ did not please himself, but it was written that he pleased other people. Christ did not come to please himself. He came to please and to care for others. No matter what, to build them up. I tell this story sometimes about my wife. Um, we were just talking over the past month, and she says, Paul, I keep having these conversations with people, and they just tell me everything. She goes, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. And she has one friend that's uh, one of our special needs mom's friends. And she invited her. I guess she gave uh, this uh, lady um, a Bible by Joni Erickson Tata. She had an extra one. And she gave it to her Say, I have an extra Bible. This lady does not believe in Christ. She's probably more uh, Eastern religion, yoga type stuff. And she just gave it to her and said nothing very much about it. And so some time went on. And then Lori got another book. Or she got a book that she really touched her from Joni Erickson Tata. And she went and invited uh, this lady, hey, I got this new book. I think it'd be a good one for you to read. And she, this lady got really excited. Like, like a book club? And Lori's like, in my wife, if you knew my wife, she's like, yeah, I guess. Uh, but it was more of I want to get together and talk about this. But she got, this lady got really excited. And, uh, and Lori, was as she was telling me this, she goes, she went home that night and got on Amazon and bought the book and texted me and said, okay, when are we going to meet? And Lori goes, this, and she told her before, this is a Christian book. It's going to talk about Christ. Oh, who cares? That's, all, that's fine. And so my wife is built into this relationship, this idea of caring for her, because it's something they have in common with special needs moms, but also because I think that Lori really deep down wants her friend to know Christ. But Lori didn't have to come down and say, hey, you need to know Christ. Hey, would you join me on this? And their first meeting over the book um, She's asking questions of like, I'm jealous of you, Lori. I want to believe what you want to believe. I'm not there yet. And so Lori's asking, she said, Paul, I didn't even do anything. I'm like, yeah, but you did. You were available to care. To be available to care. Christ is asking us to care. This example of Jesus following his steps and doing that. And how do we do that? Following in steps, we also use Scripture for instruction, for endurance, for our own selves. As you start working with people and you're dealing with people, it's hard. We want to give up, right? We don't want to continue to go and say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm here to care for you again. That's kind of my attitude sometimes because I'm just tired of doing it. But Scripture is calling us to do that. It's for encouragement we see in Scripture where God is faithful when things, all things are done and that God's plan is like this, is going to end like this. Then God surprises us in the Scripture and you see like, man, God, you are so awesome. 
as one of our Refugee Impact Collaborative guys, uh, has been working with a group of Nepali guys uh, for the past three years, uh, taking them to soccer games and playing soccer with them. And we did a skate camp together uh, with these guys. But Josh Kaler has been responsible for these guys. And he says, Paul, they're just crazy dudes. They're always hyper. They're always crazy. They're always doing something stupid. But I just love hanging out with them. And so he goes, the other night we were, uh, got done with a soccer game that we were playing at. And I had my truck or my van that I was driving. And they're all like, Mr. Josh, we want pizza. And Josh is like, I'm ready to go home. It's 9 o'clock. My wife's waiting for me at home. I don't want to spend one more minute with you guys because it's just been tough. It's been a tough night. And he goes, no, I'm going home. I'm dropping you off and I'm going home. Well, of course, they were persistent. Josh, we want to get a pizza. Come on, just buy us a pizza. Nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Because you can imagine three years of this and all these different things going on, and he just wants to go home tonight. Mr. Josh, we got enough money. You stop at Little Caesars, we'll buy pizza, and uh, then we'll be fine. Josh like, no, I don't want to do that. He goes, Mr. Josh, we need to get a pizza, some pizza because so we, we're hungry, but we also want to ask you more questions about who God is. Because they haven't asked questions like that ever. And Josh is like, what? He goes, we have questions about God, and we need you to answer them because we don't think we believe in the, what our parents are believing from the Nepali religion in the Buddhism. And of course, Josh is like, all right, let's go get some pizza. <laughs> right? And it's crazy because he, was, he wanted to go home. But he also realized this is an opportunity to care for some people. And now there's a guy from that group that has come to know Christ. The following week, he came back and goes, Mr. Josh, I've been praying every day. So what does it mean to be a follower of God now? Because I've been praying, and I believe in God now. Because he cared. So when you have those moments in your life, like, like all of us do, when God's saying, I want you to go care for this person, and we're like, no, I don't want to do that, because I've been trying forever. I've been serving forever, and I feel like as nothing's ever happening, know that God's got a bigger plan that you don't know about. One last story to close. I had a chance to lead a small group when I first started ministry, and I had a young man in my group um, that was really just struggling uh, with some eating disorder type things. But his brother was closer to me that I was investing in, and we were talking about how he's asking me, Paul, how do I serve my brother? We fight all the time. I'm the big brother. I should be taking care of him. I should be protecting him, and I can't figure it out. And all he wants to do is scream at me and yell at me about everything. And at that moment, I it just came to what God was wanting me to share with him is that, you know, Josh, you just need to love your brother. You need to care for him, and you need to tell him that I love you, and I want to care for you. And Josh, to my surprise, went home and started practicing that. They rode to school every day. And so he goes, and I said, and he said, Paul, I tried what you told me to do. I'm like, you did? Like you listened to something I asked you to do? He's like, yeah. He goes, my brother was like screaming at me the other day. And I just said, you know what? I love you. I'm here to care for you. He goes, my brother just started yelling at me more. Shut up. Don't tell me that. He's like, no, I love you. and I want to care for you. You're an idiot. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. And he says, I love you. I want to take care of you. And his brother began to cry. And he said, okay, this is where I'm at. 
And from that day on, until he graduated from high school, they prayed every single morning in the car. Because he cared. I don't know where you're at today. I know where I'm at because as I share these, mo- if I share these things, there are areas in my life that I struggle about caring for people that I love, people that I don't like. I think we're all there at times in our lives. But maybe you're here going, you know what? I don't really care about nobody. And maybe you just need to experience what we sang about. God, I need you. Because I want that. I believe, and I said it last time I was here about reconciliation, the church has the opportunity to lead the way in caring for those that are in their congregations and for those that are in the world. It shocks people. Jesus shocks people. And the reality is, as we sang about it, it's not my righteousness. It's not me that's going to change the person. It's going to be God. But God wants to use me to do it. And I have to step out and care. So my encouragement is find ways to care. My prayer for you this morning as I will close in prayer is that you will think about somebody that you're going to go care for. Maybe for you, you need to go home and tell your wife you love her and give her the next half a, half a day to listen to what's going on in her life. Or maybe it's going and throwing ball with your son because you haven't done that because you've been working so many nights. Maybe it's going to your neighbor and saying, you know what, I've been a really bad neighbor and I really want to start caring for you. Don't think that it's up to those that are more spiritual all the time or those that have positions of authority that's our responsibility, it's our obligation, it's our duty to love people and to care for people. Jesus is our greatest example. But it's reassuring that Jesus says in Matthew 28, right? I'll be with you always, even when it's hard. Lord, thank you again for this morning. I will confess, Lord, that I need you even in this area. Some people to think that, oh, he's the guy that gave his life to ministry in Cleveland 